Good morning, Otago. Welcome to our Facebook Live, where we're going to discuss the changes, uh, plan changes, PC8 for Otago and how it's going to affect you as farmers. So welcome. My name is Olivia Ross, for those of you who don't know me, and I am with the Southern South Island Extension Manager for Beef and Lamb. And next to me, we have Lauren Phillips, who is your South Island Policy Manager. How are you this morning, Lauren? I'm good, thank you. It's good. And hiding in the background, our technical support guru, Laura Lake. <laughs> so Laura's going to be moderating your questions today and actually being able to make sure we get through everything. So welcome along. Thank you for taking up your Friday morning to be able to get this update and hopefully it is of some help for you. We've also got a really good web page set up for you to be able to go and find information after this. And we'll try and get through most of those questions. And if we don't get to them, we'll make sure that we will get up to them. So we're looking at being here for half an hour. If you have any questions during the session, um, pop them up down below and we'll get to them. And otherwise, we're just going to really have a conversation here with Lauren to make sure that you guys uh, know what PC8 changes is, how it's going to affect you, and how you can get involved with the submission process. So let's get into it. Lauren, let's start. What's happening in Otago? So a lot is happening in Otago. You've got a whole lot of national policy going around, um, which you probably have been aware of, and maybe you put in a submission on, for example, um, the freshwater package. So this is different to that. And what we're looking at is changes to your regional plan, which will affect you. So there are actually three parts. The one part is plan change seven, which deals with deem permits. And this was originally notified um, earlier this year. And you might have uh, attended one of the webinars that we did um, on this plan change and you might have put in a submission. So this has been re-notified and I'll explain why in a minute. We've also got the omnibus plan change, which has been notified. So it's out now and you can put in a submission. So the omnibus plan change is a combination of plan change one, which is dust suppressants and landfills mm -hmm. and plan change eight, which is a much bigger raft of um, uh, sort of rules and regulations that will affect farmers. Right. And the reason why um, uh, Plan Change 7 is suddenly back on the cards is because it was originally notified by the Regional Council and the Regional Council asked the Minister to call it in. So he agreed, which means that now the Environmental Protection Authority has taken over the Plan Change process and they've re-notified Plan Change 7. So if you didn't put in a submission before, you can now. And they're also looking after the omnibus plan change. So that's what we want to know. Like, targets haven't we already got a plan? Why is there more rules being added? <laughs> Why? Yes, you do already have a plan, and that's an effects-based plan. Basically, um, the minister decided that your existing plan doesn't really cut it in terms of giving effect to the national policy statement for fresh water. Okay. So the council has to make um, a lot of changes to it. And some of them are going to be short term and some of them are going to be long term. You will be getting a whole plan review at some stage, but I would expect that the omnibus plan change provisions will be carried over into that new plan. Um, so you are getting new rules on top of your existing rules. Mm -hmm. And for plan change seven, uh, you have an issue where about two thirds of Otago's water permit holders 
will have their resource consents expire before we have a new plan change. And that's a problem because when they put in a new plan, they want to reassess how much water is up for grabs for everyone to use, and they might want to reduce those allocations. And they might want to raise minimum flows. If they give out resource consents for 10, 20 years, um, then that's, that will go beyond the, uh, the new plan, which means that they can't then just easily grab that water back if they decided to reduce allocations. So they needed a Band-Aid. Right. There's lots of changes for farmers to get their heads around. Yeah. What happens if they put in a submission with the essential fresh water? Is this different? Do they need to put another submission in to be able to have a say on this one? <laughs> um, I'm really sorry to tell you that if you put in a, in a submission on essential fresh water, that was absolutely necessary because that was telling the government directly how you felt about what they were proposing um, that would affect your life. But there are different layers of rules, and that was a layer of rules that is made by government and enforced by the council. And it goes in on top of, and it works in with, your regional plan, which is made by the council and enforced by the council. So there are heaps of moving parts to this. Mm -hmm. They all apply to you, and you do kind of need to put in a submission on all of them. I'm really sorry. I know that this is not what anyone wants to hear. But that's what we're here to find out yeah. why. So let's go back a step. Can we go, just give a little bit more detail? What is the omnibus plan change when it comes to farmers? To so the omnibus plan change is some um, policies and rules that apply to um, essentially farming activities. So we're looking at... Um, sediment loss, mm -hmm. we're looking at stock exclusion, um, intensive grazing, which is sort of AKA winter grazing. Right. Um, we're looking at nutrient allocation, that sort of thing. So a bit of everything. Yeah, it's a bit of everything. It's, um, it's a bit of everything and it's probably um, some of the key matters for um, people who either um, have a more diverse revenue stream. Mm -hmm. For example, if you take on any dairy cattle, um, you know, either as heifers or calves or bulls, or even, you know, milking cows that, that are grazing. Um, or uh, if you um, uh, do winter grazing to finish your stock, for example. Right. Okay. So do we want to go into each of those a little bit, a wee bit more, or do we want to move on to how more of those effects? Um, yep, we can. i tell you what, why don't you guide me? Because okay. I think that all of this is interesting and relevant, but obviously yeah. not everybody else thinks this. <laughs> That's why we've got you here. Okay, so the, obviously farmers want to know how this is going to affect them yeah. and what the biggest effects are. So we've mentioned wintering and stock yeah. exclusion. Those are two of the probably the biggest things. Yeah. Do we want to elaborate on those a little bit more in regards to how those effects could really come to and what farm, how farmers could potentially be putting a submission on, on, on these? Yes. Um, in terms of effects, um, I guess for the stock exclusion, uh, they want to have all dairy cattle excluded from waterways with a five meter buffer, right? Water bodies and waterways. So what's, the, what's it at the moment? Um, at the moment, it's probably a bit more diffuse than that. And they're looking, as, as I said, your plan is effects based, mm -hmm. which means that whatever you're doing, you can do it as long as you're not having X, Y, Z effects on the environment, rather than saying you must do this to, um, to exclude your cattle, you must right. do this much nitrogen on your pastures, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit more diffuse, which means that the council had a bit more discretion how they um, 
how they enforced it. So right. they'd be looking at, okay, well, are you actually leaving a giant mud pool? Mm -hmm. You know, are you are you treating these banks into pugging kind of thing? Cool. Okay. So when it comes to the wintering, mm -hmm. which a lot of Otago and uh, farmers are wintering stock, yes. what's the key things they need to know there? Um, the key things for wintering is that um, they've made these rules quite specific. And if you just give me a second, I actually need to go back to what I said about the stock exclusion for dairy cattle because, again, I think that this is really relevant to sheep and beef farmers in that it's not just a milking platform. It's not just for milking platforms because those gen generally have um, their cattle excluded anyway under mm -hmm. their rules for their milk supply. Mm -hmm. This is going to affect to farmers who in any way support the dairy industry through dairy grazing raising calves, heifers, bulls, young stocks, so on and so forth, because regardless of whether you're on hill country and regardless of your stocking rate, if you are, if you have these animals under these rules, you will need to fence off waterways and rivers which are one metre wide or wider. Where's that measurement made from, Lauren? That is the fullest um, annual flow without it overtopping its banks. And that's from, if, if you're going by the, because um, you'll, you'll be reading several pieces of regulation together. The freshwater package said from the wet mud, from the wet area, mm -hmm. five metres from there. Right. And, and so this the, one's saying. And this one's saying um, the highest annual flow, but it doesn't say where exactly you measure from. So I would take the freshwater thing and say, okay, highest annual flow, mm -hmm. and then five metres from where that water touches. Yeah. So here's a scenario for you. Once if I've got a creek that only runs during maybe the summer months mm -hmm. or the autumn months and it's a metre wide, is that going to have to be fenced off as well? That's a really good question. So are you asking me about intermittent waterways or are you asking me about um, ephemeral waterways? It's probably intermittent. So intermittent, um, as far as I understood, that was also something that you would have needed to exclude stock from under the freshwater package. And if this plan change doesn't say whether or not it's intermittent or not. Mm -hmm. So let's just go a step back for those who don't know what intermittent is. Should okay, we maybe so explain the difference? So intermittent means it doesn't it doesn't flow all of the time, yep. but it's mm -hmm. not just one of those that pops up when it rains and then disappears mm -hmm. when it stops raining. And that's the... And that's the ephemeral. That's the ephemeral. There so, we go. So there you this, go, people, the difference between those. <laughs> for this one, um, for this particular plan change, you're in luck because it talks about continually flowing water rivers which means intermittent doesn't count, unless the freshwater package, which lands before elections, by the way, unless that comes in and says, yeah, intermittent counts as well, then you'd be looking at continually flowing. Yeah. So you've said that, just so you've seen, you've mentioned that you regard the freshwater's gonna land before September. Yeah. When would these changes come in? These changes will come in, not before then, put it that way. So. Um, <laughs> In terms of the process, you're going to put in your submissions now, and they're due by 5 p.m. on the 17th of August. There is uh, there's submission templates, and there are also um, email addresses and postal addresses for you to send them into on our website, which we've put up. And I think that Olivia's already put that on her Facebook. Yeah, and we'll go through yes. them a bit at the end, guys. So, um, what happens after that is you get to go and talk to um, the Environment Court. Um, at a hearing, which is not like a normal hearing. It's basically you go along and explain your submissions at, to the Environment Court. And from there, they make a decision on what they think the solution should be for the plan. And then if people don't like that, then they will appeal that to the High Court. Um, but they might only be appealing small parts of it. 
everything that is not appealed to the High Court from there goes in goes back to the council, and the council turn that into a plan, which then becomes enforced. So it's it's operative, and that can take, depending on where you are, it can take maybe you know six ish months to five years. But I'm sure it's not going to take five years in this case. We're probably looking at it being maybe sometime next year. Right, so it's coming. The key thing is that date, the 17th of August, and we're yeah. getting our submissions in. So hopefully can guys take a bit more away from the session. We'll go into a few bit in a minute, uh, and we'll go through that in the end and how to do that. Yeah. So let's go back into, so we've gone through some stock exclusion. Yes. What's that? What was sediment and there's a few others. Let's yes. go into them a little bit more detail. Um, so there are a lot of um, sort of policies and rules that are being introduced in the omnibus plan change around sediment and mm -hmm. reducing sediment and lo losses from um, from farms. Mm -hmm. So part of this is around uh, critical source area identification and management, and that's probably something that you should accept as being part of your future. Is that as sheep and beef farms, you, your main um, contaminant issue is not usually nitrogen; um, it's usually sediment and phosphorus, and your main sources of this contaminant come from critical source areas. If you don't know what a critical source area is, ask her, ask Laura. They know all about it and they have a lot of resources to share with you. That's your biggest bang for buck in terms of managing your um, effects. Yeah. On the other hand, there are sort of general uh, provisions around reducing sediment and I would pay attention to those because um, sort of shorthand speak in policy, as soon as you see sediment, that usually means that there's a target on your back if you're a sheep and beef farmer because again, those are your contaminants. Just like if you see E. coli, that usually sort of lends itself to, okay, are you a sheep farmer? You should maybe start thinking about whether or not they're planning to introduce stock exclusion for sheep. That, that These are the shorthands for um, for policy, basically. So I know the questions are going to, people are going to, oh God, am I going to have to exclude my sheep now? Well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> you might have to because under, um, I think it was part F of plan change eight, they're talking about sediment traps, and sediment traps can be a source of, once again, E. coli and sediment and phosphorus losses, as well as, I mean, aside from the fact that they're supposed to capture this and prevent them flowing onto water bodies, they can be a source if you don't exclude stock. Part F requires stock to be excluded from sediment traps. And the way that this is worded suggests that it includes sheep. So if you were using your sediment traps for water supply or if you have them in a topography where it's not easy for you to you know, fence off or you simply cannot afford it right now, this will definitely affect you if you, um, if you have steep sheep access to your sediment ponds. Cool. So, more, yeah, so more around the sediment traps at the moment yeah. is not just all, not all creeks. So don't have to get too panicky quite yet in regards to all the creeks. Well, uh, there's a bit more to it because the winter oh, grazing no. provisions also right. require stock exclusion and that appears to be all stock. Okay, so do we want to go into those little bit, uh, winter ones a wee bit more then? Yep, we will. Mm. I'm sorry, we're going all over the place. You just you just direct me. So, <laughs> if, all. so if you've got any questions, guys, then you would put them up there. And um, We are going a little bit everywhere. I'm just trying to go off what Lauren is so you, you guys get the best information you can. So just pop those questions up if we are losing you at all. So let's go into the intensive grazing. Yes. What's happening there? So intensive grazing, if you're doing intensive grazing, uh, in order to be a permitted activity, you need to meet certain conditions. For example, you can't have more than 10% of your farm area mm -hmm. or 100 hectares, whichever is smaller, yep. in forage crop. Mm -hmm. You also can't uh, graze the critical source areas. Help. You um, must 
have the stock feeding progressively from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And here's the, the stock exclusion side of things. They want a 10 meter vegetated setback area between any water body okay. and the grazing stock. And that will, on, its, on, the, on the way it's um, phrased at the moment, that will include sheep. Mm -hmm. right. So that's actually a bit um, harsher than what we were hoping to get out of a freshwater package, because the freshwater package proposed a five meter or 20 meter, I really hope they didn't go with 20 meter, five meter setback. Yeah. Cool. So those critical source area grazings, grazing from the top down, that's part of the good management practices we've been pushing for the last couple of years. So majority of you are probably already doing that. So it's really that vegetation buffer at the bottom before or at, beside a creek that's really going to be the big changes. Yes. Cool. Rodeo. Anything else I should know when it comes to wintering? Yeah, that provision doesn't just talk about wintering, it talks about intensive grazing, which could cover any time of year. Um, but you are given a bit of a lifeline in that they've, um, the way that they've defined intensive grazing is the grazing of stock, which can include any stock, um, on brassicas, beet, so fodder beet, and root vegetables. It does not include cereals or pasture, not your annuals, not your oats, none of that. So intensive grazing, say those that grow a summer crop, that would come under yes. intensive grazing. If you grow a summer crop um, and it is uh, brassica, root veg, I mean, if you're feeding them on carrots, it's just a stupid example, but that's a summer <laughs> crop. If you're feeding them on carrots, that's a root vegetable that will count. So anything that you've actually put in a purpose crop. So uh, pasture and that's so a crop of plantain and that uh, real, if that fed as a crop, that be a pasture? Um, well, it's not a brassica beet or, or root vegetable. No, it's a legume, so we'll, we'll tack that right on. <laughs> awesome, radio. What else do we need to know? How else is this going to affect our farmers? How else is this going to affect your farmers? So a big one is that um, what part of the plan proposes is to essentially grandparent um, high uh, nutrient losses for intended uh, consent durations. And this is a big deal because in Plan Change 7 on deemed permits, um, they wanted to have six-year resource consents. And that's because they didn't want to give out these long resource consents when they needed to they needed to rethink how much water was actually available. And then you'd have these consents which live past the um, creation of a new plan. And that, that would have been a problem. It's been a problem in the rest of the country. However, here, what they're saying is, um, okay, well, there's existing rules that set a floor of, if you're within this floor, do whatever you want, as long as you stay within that floor. And depending on what area you are, that floor is 15 kgs of nitrogen per hectare, 20 kgs of nitrogen per hectare, and 30 kgs of nitrogen per hectare. Check your rules and your planning maps to see which one you're actually in. And those are permitted activities. And so that's pretty much where your environmental limits are. If you are well above your environmental limits, then under the current rules, you do actually need a resource consent. But what this does is provide for you to be able to lock in those high leaching rates for another 10 years. And so that actually means that it takes you past the creation of the new plan. And just like water, the council is going to have to go away and calculate, okay, well, we have this much too much nitrogen in the waterways. We have to reduce it by that. And in order to do that, we have to think, okay, well, what is everybody around that waterway losing from their land? And how much are they allowed to lose in order for us to achieve our goal? So there's a bucket of nitrogen that's available for everyone, and they're going to dish out from there. If you've got these 10-year consents, which have already locked in high number, like high rates of leaching, 
you've basically taken a big chunk out of that bucket already. So they're going to take what's left and dish that out, which is a problem because um, that leaves a lot less and it's not necessarily, these are not necessarily the farmers who are going to be the ones that um, the council's really concerned about for nitrogen losses to the waterways. And that's something that you guys need to be aware of because this will affect your ability to, um, to farm and remain viable and uh, the flexibility that you have in your farm. So there will be avenue streams that are no longer available to you if you are grandparented uh, in your um, nutrient losses. Uh, you tend to lose a lot of that flexibility of farming within your environmental limits under a grandparented nutrient allocation system. So it will affect the amount of nutrient inputs we can put in as well? Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So mm. if you had any plans to irrigate and you're grandparented, you can kiss that dream goodbye. It's not going to happen because that's the, the two go hand in hand. So definitely one to really consider putting yep. submissions in on. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a really big one. Um, and I mean, we've got our presentation slides from yesterday and for Tuesday coming. Um, on the website if you want to have a bit more sort of information on that. We've also got the beef and lamb uh, principles of nutrient allocation on our website mm. if you look at to see where we're coming from. Cool, yes. We've got a lot more information. We'll go through that in a bit, guys. So just a few more questions. We're sort of in that last five minutes. Uh, so we Environmental Protection Authority, EPA, we see yeah. that this is being hand the plan changes are being handled by them. Yes. Who are they? They are a government organization, and I think that people shouldn't get too hung up on their involvement at this point because okay. they're not the ones making the decision. They've just basically, they're going to be sort of an intermediary at this point um, where uh, they sort of are taking in and helping to process all of the plan changes the environment court are going to be making right. the decisions. So don't get hung up because I mean, when people hear EPA, they think of that Homer Simpson movie. What is it, Simpsons with, you know, the pig <laughs> and the, the, you know, the old man Simpson having his, you know, seizure with EPA, EPA is coming to get you. That's not really the case in this in this situation. Right, so we won't panic on that, concentrate on what yeah. we can control. Yeah. Awesome, so we've mentioned PC7 um, a little bit at the beginning. Do you want to elaborate any more on what PC7 is? Yeah, PC7, um, as I said, it's a it's a band, it's supposed to be a band-aid um, to deal with the fact that all those deep pins are going to expire within the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and they've offered a controlled activity rule to deal with this, which is good. Controlled activity is good because it means that as long as you tick the boxes, you're going to get your resource consent. Unfortunately, what this plan change is basically doing as well is using this as an opportunity to claw back water, water allocation and also lock in and claw back nutrients. Um, it means that they've sort of locked it down to a certain year, which is 1718 for most of the for most of the provisions. And so if you've done development within your um, your water your water permit, if you've done development since then, it's not accounted for. And if you cannot check those boxes, um, or if you're not willing to give up any of your allocation, you will then need a resource consent for a non-complying activity. And that's not an easy one to get. If, you, if it's non-complying, you're not technically supposed to be doing that. It can be very expensive and it can be um, quite onerous. So it's, it's a big deal. I think if you haven't already put in a submission, please do. If you have already put in a submission, then don't, you don't have to do anything. It's, uh, the council has passed it on to the EPA and they will um, sort it out for you. So we had a question come through, Lauren, and looking at some of the proposed changes, aren't they in place already? Through what? Through the current plan? Um, well, 
I think that Otago, and... Otago felt that it was in place um, through their plan. Unfortunately, uh, the minister disagrees. And so um, what the council has to do is to put in more um, explicit rules. Right. Okay. Yeah. So... These are going to come in that we need to just, what we've got is what we've got. Yes. <laughs> and we need to work with them and try and put those submissions in against them. Yep. Well, mm. I mean, look, if you like something, put in a submission for it. If you like something, then do that. Um, if you don't like something, then I suggest you speak up and say so, because otherwise someone else is going to be making decisions for you. Cool. Okay. Rightio. So, just also, I just want to be a bit of clarification when it comes back to the intensive grazing. Mm -hmm. So can we just go through that again in regards to the 10% 100 hectare? Yep. So can we, yeah, elaborate okay. on that a bit? So um, some properties will have um, more of their property in winter grazing than others. Mm -hmm. I was on a property in Southland recently where um, they do a lot of winter grazing as part of their system along with their 5,000 sheep, whatever they have. Yep. yep they would definitely be affected by this. What the council is basically saying is uh, winter grazing is a huge risk in terms of contaminant losses to water. And so they're focusing on this to try and uh, reduce that. And what they're saying is, we don't want you to do a lot of winter grazing if you want to be a permitted activity. So you can do 10% of your land area in winter grazing, and that'll be permitted. Or you can do 100 hectares of your land area in winter grazing, and that'll be permitted. Whichever one is smaller. And if they're bigger than that, is there a consent process that can go to potentially still be able to do that? Yes, yes, you will need to get a resource consent and that is for a discretionary activity. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever seen one of my presentations where I put out um, a consent activity status table, you'll remember that discretionary is not to be sniffed at because when you apply for a discretionary resource consent, they can say no and they can also look at whatever they want in order to decide whether or not to give you your resource consent and in deciding what conditions they want to put on your resource consent so they can look at whether you're complying with your other resource consents or they could look at the biodiversity side of things on your farm that you know they could be looking at the wetland down downstream that kind of thing so it is kind of a big deal and there would be conditions on and it's you. obviously going to be a cost to get that consent as well. oh yeah yeah no you have to pay for that yeah, yeah. so what happens if i i've got a farm and mm -hmm. i have a block I have a block down the road and I've got a block here and there's also a block next door and I run them all together. Does that rule apply on each of them or is it treated as one? Uh, you know, this came up um, in Canterbury and what the council decided was you either run it as one system or it's contiguous. I guess if they're on in opposite, you know, catchments and mm -hmm. completely different catchments, then you might get away with that. But um, you can't just basically lease out, you know, all the lifestyle blocks in your area. And yeah. wind graze all of those. Yeah. So they're, they're gonna, if you're running them as one business unit, that's going to be the 10%, 100 hectares? Yeah, you're probably looking at that. Unless they are sort of far enough away or in different catchments, mm -hmm. you can probably... Right. So case-by-case case basis. Probably can, uh, it's probably going to end up being a case-by-by-case case basis. I think that they're not going to appreciate people trying to game the system. And I have met farmers who essentially rent lifestyle blocks yep. to game this system. Yeah, no, exactly. Rightio, so that gives you something to think about. So we're just going to go through now in regards to how do you make an effective submission? 
So we've got into the 17th of August to be able to do this. So really encouraging you to utilize all the information we have. I, Laura has posted in the comments some of the links, including our Otago Plan Change website. And there is also, for those who want to get a little bit more information on this, and if you live in the Middle March area, uh, if you see on the website, there is an event on the 4th of August, uh, which is on Tuesday, and you can get along to that to be able to get more information and ask some of those media questions as well. And um, just look at the comments or check out the Beef Lamb website, also the e-diary for those who receive it. So Lauren, how do you make an effective submission? You know what, one of the biggest things is structure make it easy to read people will actually read and they'll pay attention so what you need to remember is that you're saying the provision that you're talking about you need to be clear on that otherwise they don't know what you're going so on don't about. waffle you don't waffle you need to say this is what i'm putting as in a submission on rule something and then you need to say i support it or i oppose it so you need to actually state what your position is and then you need to say why and the why is really important because if you just say no nah, i hate it it's like, well, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice, but you know, that's not really a persuasive argument. So you need to explain why, and it really helps how it's going to affect you, because something that has come up is that um, the council uh, advised us that they didn't feel that plan change aid was really going to affect sheep and beef farms, which is why they didn't consult with us. So, I mean, explaining why how this is going to affect you is going to explain why you have a right to have a say on this. And then you also need to give a solution or say what you want instead. And that might be delete this rule, or it might be change these words. And you can also give a reason for why you're suggesting this solution, but you know, ultimately that's what you need. You need provision, yes or no, why you're saying this and what you want instead. So we've got submission templates on our website to make them easy to find. Normally we would make our own submission templates for you, which are quite easy to follow. In this particular case, we need to use the EPA submission template, and um, it's not it's not that that bad. Just fill out the boxes and check our uh, website for the presentation slides, which basically explain what to do in each of the boxes. Because there's a box that says, "What are you submitting on?" And there you need to say either the whole plan, because maybe you love the whole plan and you want them to just keep the whole thing, or you can say, you know, specific provisions, and then you list the specific provisions. And then it says what is your view on the plan change or on the specific parts that you've listed above? And you must say, okay, well, I support or oppose it. And then in that box, you explain why and how it will affect you. And you can do that on a provision by provision basis. That's what I'll be doing for all the beef and lamb submissions. And then the next box is what decision would you like the environment court to make? And from there, it gives you a tick box where it says, keep the plan, change the plan, delete the plan. You pick one, and you tell the court what solution you want instead for each of the provisions that you've commented on. I mean, you might want them to just keep the whole plan. And so you say, to you take, keep the plan, I love it. That's why. So, you know, um, that's how you do it. It's Once you get past the sort of initial uh, scariness of having to fill out the form, I hate forms, they give me the heat jeebies. <laughs> um, once you get past that, it's pretty easy and just, you know, follow your intuition. Awesome. So really the key is tell your own story. Um, the yeah. more personal it is, the more they're going to actually read. It's like reading any, any book. Yeah. There's a story behind it. You're more likely to pay attention. So yeah. tell your story. Laura's also put up in the comments uh, the being heard by the decision makers link, which gives you some tips and tricks on making a submission as well. 
So got the website link, you've got some links in the comments below. You've also able to contact Lauren and ask any specific questions. Yes. So uh, Lauren Phillips at beeflamnz.com email. So uh, all beef and lamb, just change the name around than the ones you've got. Uh, we can reply to the e-diaries and we can pass them on, both Laura and myself. Uh, so re really encourage you to get into that. Um, and you've got the event next week in Middle March on the 4th. And yeah, that's one, one more question. One more question. And, and I have a comment once we've done Yeah, Laura's got a question. Hang on. So where would a mix of brassicas and or root vegetables and with cereals and grasses and we can sit in the intensive grazing system? Uh, I think you'd have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis, what the what the sort of mix looks like and how intensive your grazing is. If you've got uh, rape in with your cereal, with your um, oats and grass, mm. then so just you're probably not looking at that, the same thing. In case you didn't hear it in the background, it's if you're grazing a real mixed sward and you might have some brassicas in amongst some pastures, what that's going to come under intensive grazing. So I think you you would be looking at a case by case basis, and you'd be looking at the density, and you'd be looking at um, at uh, how you graze it as well. I would actually talk to my council about that um, and get some assurances from them because if you do, if you genuinely do have um, just a mixed ward and it's not going to end up being um, the sort of picture that they imagine for winter grazing, then I can't imagine that they'd take one quarter of the plant um, composition and decide that it was going to define the entire So maybe give, we can get, probably get a wee bit more okay. information on that one. Yeah. Cool. So hopefully, guys, that has given you some more info and you are way more informed on what PC8 and the PC7 coming back in um, means to you, how it's going to affect you, and how you can be involved in making sure that you can get it submission in. So thank you very much for joining us this morning. And Lauren's got one comment to yep, finish. I've got one comment. Um, at our webinar yesterday, people indicated that they were interested in online submission help sessions. So I'm going to try and um, wrangle those for you guys. If you want help with your submissions, then just keep an eye on Olivia and um, Laura's Facebook pages and uh, tune in. Otherwise, you're welcome to email me directly for help. That's fine. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lauren, for coming in this morning thank and you. joining us. And thank you, everybody out there, for joining us as well. Hope for the rest of your Friday and your weekend goes well and you will hear from us soon. See you later, team. Thank you.